Well, tonight uh, we will pick up where we left off last week. We started last week um, and didn't get very far into it, but we began last week talking about um, the second part of how we inherit Adam's sin. Um, two weeks ago, or three Wednesdays ago now, we, uh, we talked about the, the first ways we inherit Adam's guilt, that because Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, that we are in them, and God imputes the sin of Adam to us, and we're guilty because we're descendants of Adam. The second way, though, is we inherit Adam's sin. We inherit his corruption, which means really that we are, uh, we are prone towards sin, that we are drawn to it, that like a, like a moth is to um, the, the porch light, <laughs> you know, start to say a flame, but we know a porch light more than we do an open flame. Like a moth is to that porch light, and, and you, you shut the door, don't let the moth in, so are we, without Christ, drawn towards sin. It's part of the nature that we've inherited from Adam. We began very quickly just to, we, we looked at, uh, at or, um, David's prayer in Psalm 51, where he said, In sin did my mother conceive me? And we looked at the fact that he wasn't referring to the fact, to, to his mother's sin, he was referring to his own sin, that he saw himself as being sinful from birth. Uh, other, other places in, in the Psalms uh, show that even before birth, in the womb, uh, there is this sin nature that we have from Adam, that we are not only guilty, but we are corrupt. Uh, and then we began just briefly to talk about that no one has to teach a child to sin. And I shared that illustration, which many of you smiled and nodded on because you've had similar experiences with your own children or grandchildren uh, where Micaiah w- wanted to put the grilled cheese in the, in the VCR and we would say no and he would go a little bit further and, and, uh, and want to put it in there. I, I want to pick up right there and continue in this vein of no one has to teach a child to sin. I want to show you some, some further scriptures. Um, I don't think we got to it last week. Turn to Isaiah chapter 48 verse 8. Isaiah 48. This is in a section, Isaiah 48, where God is revealing to Israel that he will restore them, that he will uh, free them from from Babylon for his own sake, that that they've done nothing to deserve it. Uh, But he's revealing this to them in in Isaiah 48, verse 8. He says, you have never heard, you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth, you were called a rebel. Again, showing, demonstrating that this nature is within us. You know, when Micaiah was born, when Abby was born, probably more Abby than than Micaiah, uh, you know, in the hospital, you don't, you don't look at that child as they take the child and they lay the child over there in that warmer and they're doing that little suction thing all over them and strapping that little diaper on them and all that kind of stuff, putting that little sock thing over their head. You don't go to the window and look in there and say, boy, that is just a rotten sinner to the core. You know, if you do, you're standing there. I mean, just try it sometime. And the people standing there with you will, will have you carted away. 
Because nobody looks at a baby and says, boy, that's just, you know, trouble in a diaper, you know. But that's the reality. Is that from, from the womb, here it says before birth, we have this evil nature within us. And it comes from Adam, that we inherit this from Adam. The scripture, I won't have you turn there, I'll just remind you, back in Psalm 58, that talked about the, the adder, the, the small snake that, uh, that the charmers knew not to, not to try with this particular snake because it was called a deaf adder. And it had somehow the ability to tune out the charms of the snake charmer. And, uh, and it would strike the charmer and, and, um, and inflict the venom on, on the charmer. That's the picture here is that, that from, from birth we've had the ability to tune out all of the glory, all of the grace, all of the mercy from God because this sinful nature is so powerful. Ephesians chapter 2, turn there. You know, there are some, uh, some verses or some sections of Scripture that are just powerful and that you just, I mean, it's all powerful, but there are some that you just seem to, you find yourself repeatedly going to those and Ephesians 2 is one of those. Uh, in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1, uh, Paul here says that he begins to describe the person without Christ. He says, you were dead in, in, in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. And then what's the very next phrase? Like the rest of mankind. And so not only is it this sin nature from before birth, it's universal. You know, it's, it's not as if you go to that, that nursery window and you look in there and you can see, well, hey, boy, that one, that one's trouble. But that one right there, that one's, that one's okay. That one looks like it's got the potential to be a saint. You know, uh-uh. Just put them in a room together. You'll, you'll figure out real quick. They're both corrupt, you know. It's universal. This sin nature is, goes to all mankind. Therefore, the task for all parents is not to teach their children how to do wrong. Nobody has to do that. The task for all parents is to teach their children how to do right. That's what he talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. Just turn over a couple of pages. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Two aspects there. Bring them up in the discipline, which proves the point that all children have this sin nature and they need to be disciplined. It's what Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 4 is talking about when it says the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Um, sometimes the child needs 
to be spanked. Sometimes the child needs to be uh, grounded. Sometimes the child needs to have some things taken away. Why? Because they have this sin nature that that works its way out. But the second part of this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, is not only discipline them. If, if a father is all discipline and never any instruction, he's abusive. He says here, bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction. The picture here is that a father is to come alongside a child and instruct them in what is right. Um, you know, as as... My children get older as Micaiah gets closer and closer to teenage years. He's now 12. Um, it, this becomes increasingly pressing on my mind. I want a son who treats members of the opposite sex with respect. I, I want a son who will do things like open a door. Not only for a girl, not only for his mother, but also his sister... And also for someone else that's just happened to be walking into a restaurant and he gets to the door first. I want him to think about things like that. I want him to know what's right. Not just to come down on him when he's wrong. And that's, that's the picture here. That's the task of the father and the mother in raising children. We don't have to teach them what's wrong we discipline when they are doing wrong, but we also, the, the major task is to teach them, instruct them in what is right. That's what Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, we won't go there for, for the sake of time, but it's what was told to them. Write these things on the doorposts of your house. Talk about them in, in your day when you're going about your normal day. You talk about these things often when you rise up, when you sit down. You just, you just make these a part of your everyday life. Um, that's, that's the task of a parent. So, there's this sin nature that is universal to all mankind, that, is, that comes out from before birth. The task of parents is to instruct them in the ways of righteousness. And then you look at society and... There are some other parameters that are put in place that are to curtail or to control this sin nature. What are some of those other um, limits in society that, uh, that help kind of control our sin nature from being as bad as it possibly could be? What is it? Yeah, laws. The civil laws of the land. Um, you know, speeding, for one. There's, there's, a, um, there's a speed limit. You go out here on, on Highway 101 and you, and you take off tonight going home and, and you hit about 85 or 90, you know, uh, and, and you pass a police officer. Yeah, he's, he's going he's gonna to write you a ticket. And uh, those are laws of the land to keep you from doing 85 or 90, to, to at least hold you down to about 55 or 60 when it's 45, right? I mean, you know, you know there's, there's limits there. What else besides the laws of the land? Y'all didn't even flinch when I said 55 or 60. I mean, y'all are going more than that? Yeah, your conscience is one. Yeah, your conscience is there to, to convict you inwardly. Where does your conscience come from? From God, God himself. He gave it to you. He gave it to not only you as a believer, but also to unbelievers. And that's a good thing. You know, when um, 
When you get so angry that you just want to take somebody's head off, (laughs) that there's this little voice inside you that says, that would not be right. (laughs) I'm glad that's there, you know. Because chances are, I'm making some people that mad. (laughs) It's my head they want to take off. What else? What else limits? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. God's law. God's law is there for the believer. Really, for for everyone. It's to, to show everyone that there is a standard. Right, yeah, natural, natural limits. Uh, and the Carol's illustration is the ocean. My illustration on that would be gravity. I know that I, you know, if I go up on the roof, there's a smart way to come down and there's a not-so-smart way to come down. And gravity helps me in that. What else? Yeah, the laws of nature. Yeah, which would be kind of that same thing, gravity and, and, uh, and other things. What else? That's right. Yeah, the expectations of your family. Um, you know, there's a history of alcohol and drug abuse in my family. Uh, my, uh, my sister, my, my two first cousins that I grew up with, uh, my, you know, my, my first cousin, the same age as I, I am, and we graduated together and we're in the same youth group together. And her, her dad and uh, my, my great-grandparents, there's a history of that. Part of, I, I look back and probably one of the only reasons that I didn't end up that way, other than the grace of God, um, was the expectations of my grandfather not wanting to let him down as well as my mom and dad. I just, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Even though there, were, there was precedent in my family, and if I'd have went that way, it wouldn't have been the first one to go that way, but, uh, but I just didn't want to let them down. That's a good one. Intellect. Your intellect, yeah. Yeah, God's given you a mind to think through. The, all of these are things that are there to keep our sin nature from being as bad as it could be. So with all of this, I would ask you the question, is it enough? Yeah, only Jesus is enough. And if, even if we don't go that route first, all you got to do is turn on the news and see that it's not enough. We've got all these things in place. You turn the news on and you see people are still murdering. People are still robbing. People are still you know, committing arson and all sorts of things. So... All of these things, while they're there and they're good, they're not enough. And let me show you the reason why, very quickly. Uh, while plenty of people have done a lot of good things, in strictly human terms, because of the inherited corruption, which we're talking about, it's impossible for us to do anything that is truly pleasing to God. Number one, there is nothing good in us. And number two, there is nothing good coming out of us. Let me show you these in just a couple of scriptures. Um, Turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 18. This is Paul here, and he's talking about the good that I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I wind up doing. And in verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, 
but not the ability to carry it out. He's talking about outside of Christ. Obviously, Paul here, when he writes Romans, is a believer. And he's not talking about the Holy Spirit living inside of him, that nothing good dwells in him. He's talking about in and of himself. There is nothing good in him. But see, this is so contrary to what the world tells us. The world tells us that humanity, the world's only getting better. We're evolving, Right? I mean, we're constantly going toward what is better and what is better. One of the things that that has shown the error of this um, was the Holocaust. That was the big thing is we're, we're getting better, we're getting better, we're getting better. And then Hitler came on the scene. I mean, the reality is we're not getting better. The reality is the more we go through history, the more we discover the sinfulness of the human heart. There's nothing good in us, Paul says. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So there's nothing good in us. And we've got to get this out of our minds. We've got to quit listening to Dr. Phil and Oprah and all of these, you know, psychotherapists that tell us that we're basically good. That we've just got to all learn to get along. No, the, the reality is the Bible tells us that because of Adam's sin, we have inherited that nature and there is nothing good in us. And we are rotten to the core. Now, we're not as bad as we could be because there are parameters there that limit us. But there's nothing good as far as pleasing to God in us. Secondly, there's nothing good coming out of us, which makes sense. If there's nothing good in us, then there's not going to be anything coming out of us that's good. That's why John fifteen five says, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from a relationship with Christ, because there is nothing good in you, there's nothing good that will come out of you. Apart from Christ, you can't do anything. And when it, It's not saying there that you can't get up and brush your teeth or you can't shower and shave for the day. You can't go and earn a good living. It's not talking about that. What it's talking about is you can't do anything to please God. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And this is in a section where it's highlighting all of these people that by faith, by faith, by faith, they were accepted and approved by God. Then it it make that classic statement in verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. There's nothing good that's coming out of us. Turn, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 64, verses 6 through 7. Isaiah 64, verses 6 through 7. This is... This is a classic section that's taught, it's describing what our acts of righteousness really are. 
what our deeds, what our good deeds really are in the, in the sight of God. In uh, Isaiah 64, verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. Well, what does the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, uh, call the person who is unclean? It's a leper. The leper is infected and infectious. In our own deeds, in our own good things that we try to do, it's like leprosy to God. Then it goes on, uh, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. I don't want to go into what that really means. It's disgusting that everything good that you try to do is it's a filthy rag. It's a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. Picture there in the fall of the year, even past the fall of the year, into the winter when the leaf has dried up and it has decayed and it has become brittle and it crumbles just at the slightest little influence. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. That, that dried up, decayed, dead, crumbled leaf, that wind blows it away. The wind there is, it's the picture of our sin or our iniquity, that it's powerfully destructive, that it carries away even our best attempt at righteousness. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. And have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. There is nothing good coming out of us. There's nothing good in us. There's nothing good coming out of us. Therefore, this is what I would have you to take away tonight so that you don't leave here depressed and say, boy, that was just really, you know, worth coming to on Wednesday night when it's rainy already. Since there is this sin nature in every person, and since there are parameters to keep us from being as bad as we possibly could be, but it's still not enough because all of our righteousness is as a polluted garment. There's nothing good in us, nothing good coming out of us. Then the takeaway would be this, that when you and I sense the calling, sense the drawing of God to turn away from sin, and to embrace by faith His truth. And we should not harden our hearts, but we should by faith receive it, accept it. That's what we should do. Because if we harden our hearts, then we simply make ourselves, we simply push ourselves further and further and further away from God. That's why I stand here every week and call people to repent and trust Christ. And that's why you should not simply count on me to do it from here. Romans 10, there's a section there, 13 down through about 15, that talks about how will they hear unless someone tells them? How will they tell them unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I would, I would encourage you today... When you leave out of here, to be those beautiful feet. To 
understand the people around you and why they're like they are because they have this inherited guilt and inherited nature from Adam. But the only hope they have is not in the laws of the land or the expectations of family or any of those other things. The hope that they have is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of them will never come inside these walls. And therefore, the responsibility is on you to tell them what their only hope really is. I would challenge you to go and do that in the same way that the father is instructed to, as he is going, tell his children these things from God. All right? Let's pray together. Lord, I, I pray, God, that you would stir within us. God, that you would stir within us this understanding of why people are, why, are the way they are. God, that we would understand the sinfulness of the human heart. God, that you would help us to see ourselves more clearly for why we're still the way we are sometimes. That there's this battle that is going on inside of us. That there's this new nature that's been given to us, but we have not been fully sanctified yet. God, I pray that you would stir within us the understanding and the realization that we need to believe the gospel and trust the gospel every day of our lives, but also we don't need to hoard the gospel. That we need to take the gospel and tell it to anybody and everybody. And they won't all listen. Because Corinthians tells us that the natural man will not listen. He will not understand. But God, I pray that you would send us out taking the gospel, telling it. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand that there will be those that do listen. Because your spirit will go before us. And you will open their ears. All we have to do is tell. And God, I pray that you'd stir that inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Have a good